Have you ever remembered an event only to find out your entire recollection of it was completely inaccurate? Or maybe you recalled a logo or line from a favorite movie only to realize later it was entirely wrong. But what if you weren't the only one experiencing this? What if thousands of people remembered the same minute details you did? And what if these details could be a clue to answering one of the universe's greatest questions? How real is our reality? Welcome to Halfway to Hippie, the podcast where we explore different topics like spirituality, alternative forms of healing, starseeds, alternate dimensions, and so much more. Hi, I'm Annette Schmidt, your host and self-proclaimed wannabe hippie who is on a mission to answer questions like, what exactly is the fifth dimension and how do we get there? Are aliens real or is it all just a government hoax? Oh, and what about psychedelics? Are they actually safe and should we be using them? So buckle up because we are taking a trip to see just how deep the rabbit hole really goes. Hey everyone and welcome to today's episode. This is episode six, which means that we are officially halfway through season one of Halfway to Hippie. And I can't thank all of you enough for your support and listening to the podcast and sharing your ideas and feedback with me. And I am really excited for today's episode. So I recently started a TikTok account, and if you're on TikTok, make sure to check it out. My username is halfway to hippie, all one word, all lowercase. And on the account, I ended up going down the deep, deep rabbit hole of Mandela effects. And I quickly started to realize that I needed to dedicate more than three minutes at a time to this topic. So today, we are going to be discussing the Mandela effect and the different theories behind what actually causes the effect. And not only that, but in this episode, I'm going to ask you, the listener, a series of questions that will likely have you questioning reality itself. So let's get started by first diving into defining what the Mandela effect is and where it came from in the first place. Now, for those of you who have been riding the Wu train for some time, it's likely you are already familiar with this concept. But to make sure we're all on the same page, and for those who have never heard of it, let's break it down a bit. Put simply, the term Mandela effect has become one that people use to describe their own powerful memories that don't seem to match recorded history. But where did this term come from, and why is it called the Mandela effect? Well, it all started in 2009. Dragon Con was hosting its 22nd annual event in Atlanta, Georgia. Hundreds of sci-fi fans dressed as their favorite characters filled the main lobby of a downtown Marriott hotel. The room buzzed with excitement and energy as everyone waited on the lineup of special guests to begin. Now, one of those special guests was a woman named Fiona Broom, a paranormal expert who was hanging out in the green room with a number of other individuals relaxing in between presentations. It wasn't unusual for crazy conversations to take place there. In fact, the event almost required it. But little did anyone know that the zany conversation that took place that day would go on to create an internet craze that would have many questioning the reality. Now, while in the green room, the conversation turned from the weird and funny to something a bit more serious. And in response to this, a security guard named Shadow mentioned how the conversation reminded him of how people seem to remember Nelson Mandela, an African leader, dying in prison decades ago when in actuality, at the time, he was still alive and well. Now, Fiona's ears immediately perked up at this comment because she just so happened to be one of these people. 
And to her surprise, she wasn't the only one in the green room with this alternate memory. And eventually, the entire group began to refer to it as the Mandela Effect. But it wasn't until years later that the term would gain the worldwide fame that it knows today. After the Dragon Con event, Fiona brought the idea of the Mandela Effect to one of her book publishers, who suggested that she open a website to see just how much interest people actually had in it. And as they say, the rest is history. The Mandela Effect began to take on a life of its own. Not only were people reaching out claiming to have the same alternate memory of Nelson Mandela dying decades ago, but people were also coming forward with alternate memories ranging from popular brand logos to lines in TV shows and movies. Now, before we go into the different examples of the Mandela Effect, let's first take a look at the criteria needed for something to be considered an actual Mandela Effect itself. So there are a few key factors that go into determining what could be considered a Mandela effect. First is the level of certainty a person has about the memory. Now, oftentimes Mandela effects are associated with a strong reaction by an individual once they realize that their memory of the event, logo, or phrase was incorrect, ultimately making them question reality to a certain degree. The other key factor is that this is a shared misremembering by a large group of people. So it isn't just one individual that remembers the incorrect version of something, but instead it could be hundreds or even thousands to millions of people that share the same alternate memory. And most importantly, it's a memory that no one can find any foundation for in recorded history. So that means while many people can recall the memory, No one can explain where the memory originated or why, because there is no documented history of that alternate memory ever existing outside of a person's memory in the first place. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look at a few examples of the Mandela effect, and I'll let you be the judge as to whether or not these truly stand up to the given criteria. So full disclosure, you can honestly find hundreds of different examples of things that people claim to be Mandela effects. And while I feel like some hold more weight than others. There's definitely not enough time in this episode to cover them all. So what I've decided is to share the ones that I found the most interesting and have had me questioning my own reality. Oh, and if at any point you don't believe me, feel free to pause this episode and Google each of these for confirmation, because I'll tell you right now, this might get a little freaky. Okay, so the first one, and probably the most famous Mandela effect out there, involves the famous book series, The Berenstain Bears. Now, when thinking of the title, I want you to consider how you remember the word Berenstain being spelled. And if you can take a moment and you're not driving, I would say write it down, or if you are driving, go ahead and spell it out loud. So I'll give you just a second. Now, if you spelled Berenstain with an E, as in B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E, E-I-N, you would be 100% incorrect. It turns out the famous book series has always been spelled Bernstein with an A. So that would be B-E-R-E-N-S-T-A-I-N. Now, this Mandela effect is not only one of the most famous ones out there, but it is probably the number one effect that has caused the most internet disagreements. Okay, so the next one has to do with the popular franchise restaurant Chick-fil-A and specifically how people remember the word chick being spelled. It seems that there is a distinct group of individuals that remember the restaurant spelling chick C-H-I-C, as in chic. And they also distinctly remember making fun of the spelling and how these chickens must be chic and fashionable. Makes sense, right? 
And a number of people also use this spelling when searching for the restaurant on Google or referencing it on Twitter. So if you look on either of those two platforms, you're going to find Chick-fil-A spelled C-H-I-C quite a bit. But if when looking up the spelling online, you may be surprised to learn that it has always been spelled Chick, C-H-I-C-K. And it's not only popular logos and timeless children books that have fallen victim to this effect. It seems that the most infamous movie lines are being collectively misremembered. Starting with the Disney classic Snow White and the famous scene of the evil stepmother summoning the mirror saying mirror mirror on the wall. It turns out, though, that the evil queen never says mirror mirror on the wall. What she actually said was magic mirror on the wall. In fact, nowhere in the movie does she say mirror mirror on the wall, even though thousands, if not millions of people remember it being said that way. And another movie line classic that many people misremember comes from the most famous movie franchise, Star Wars. This series has millions of diehard fans who've seen the movies not once, but multiple times over. So you'd think the odds of fans getting the movie lines wrong would be very slim. However, somewhere along the way, the famous line, Luke, I am your father, was misremembered by entire generations over the decades. If you go back and watch the scene, what was actually said was, no, I am your father. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, what about all the merchandise and marketing references to this famous line? Well, none of the official Star Wars merchandise includes Luke in it. If you search for t-shirts, mugs, posters, all of the official merch states either, no, I am your father, or simply, I am your father. The only merchandise you'll find displaying the incorrect quote is on privately sold merchandise not affiliated with the Disney brand or the Star Wars franchise. So my question is, where did the Luke I Am Your Father start, and why did it take such a foothold over the actual quote that was said in the movie, especially when the movie studios never marketed it in the first place? And speaking of movies, let's talk about the movie Shazam, starring Sinbad, that came out in the 90s. It was about this bubbly genie that granted wishes to two children who went on a journey. And a lot of people claim that they've watched this movie from beginning to end, and they remember everything in it. But believe it or not, the movie actually never existed. So how can we explain so many people having a memory of a movie that has never been released? Now, these are just a few of the many, many clean Mandela effects out there. And this phenomenon is no longer segregated to pop culture. There are actually claims by groups of people who have experienced the Mandela effect on an even smaller scale. For example, one user on Reddit shared their experience of a small-scale Mandela effect. According to them, it was 1994 at their cousin's funeral. They remember their cousin's high school band recorded the song Time of Your Life by Green Day to have it played at his funeral. And even the user's entire family remembered that song being played. Because according to them, they claimed it was their cousin's favorite song and favorite band. Not only that, but apparently the entire family had a discussion before the funeral debating as to whether or not they should let the song be played because of its actual name, Good Riddance. However, looking back, the user found out that the song didn't actually come out until 1997. So there's no way that it could have been the same song that was played at their cousin's funeral. 
So how do we explain this kind of phenomenon? What causes the Mandela effect and why does it affect such a large group of people in such a strong way? A simple search on Google and you will come across endless results of theories claiming to explain the Mandela effect. But what we're going to do is to take a look at three of the most prominent ones being shared by the collective and the three that are the most likely. Now, the first theory that we're going to discuss has to do with parallel universes and the Large Hadron Collider. Back in 1998, physicists at CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, began building the Large Hadron Collider, or LHC for short, in Geneva in hopes that it would give us a better understanding of our universe and the particles within it. Essentially, the LHC was created so that physicists could explain how particles interacted with one another in order to study how the universe was designed. And even though skeptics say this theory is complete science fiction, it's important to consider that those at CERN themselves have stated that one of their primary goals is to prove the existence of parallel universes. The following is a direct quote from CERN's staff-targeted monthly bulletin. Quote, parallel universe, unknown forms of matter, extra dimensions. These are not the stuff of cheap science fiction, but very concrete physics theories that scientists are trying to confirm with the LHC and other experiments. End quote. So while mainstream media has been quick to dismiss this theory based on CERN's own statements, I believe it is a theory worth investigating. So let's break down exactly why people believe CERN could be the cause of the changes that we consider to be Mandela effects. And a lot of the information I'm about to share supporting this theory is from Edge of Wonder. They created a really, really well-made video about how CERN and the Mandela effect could be related. I'll make sure to link the original video in the show notes so you can take a look for yourself. But for now, this is the overall idea of why CERN could potentially be the source of Mandela effects. Now, the idea of this theory is that the LHC could have created a rift in time and space, ultimately creating a bridge of some sort between us and parallel universes or alternate dimensions through the creation of black holes. Now, it's no secret that CERN has heavily focused on being able to create black holes. This isn't a conspiracy theory or fake news. If you look on CERN's website, they themselves state this as one of their goals, saying, quote, Another way of revealing extra dimensions would be through the production of microscopic black holes. What exactly we would detect would depend on the number of extra dimensions, the mass of the black hole, the size of the dimensions, and the energy at which the black hole occurs. If micro black holes do appear in the collisions created by the LHC, they would disintegrate rapidly. They would decay into standard model or supersymmetric particles creating events, end quote. So let's break down what this is saying by first taking a look at what events are. Events, or event horizon, is the radius around a singularity where matter and energy cannot escape a black hole's gravity. It's basically the point of no return. Think of it as the black part of a black hole. It's also the part of a black hole where the gravitational pull is so great that escape is impossible for everything, including time. Now, but how is all of this affecting our timeline and the changing of such minute details within it? Well, Stephen Hawking believes that the creation of the God particle, which will help lead scientists to the creation of black holes, is enough to potentially cause space and time to collapse. And Lisa Randall, a Harvard University theorist, states, quote, in another space-time, there exists right here, right now, another dimension, we just can't see it. 
end quote. The idea is that when there is a shift in gravity, it would create a rift in our time space that would open up and you would be able to see into another different time space, which is exactly what CERN is trying to do. They want to be able to create rifts in time space to send particles from this dimension to another dimension and vice versa so that they can create repercussions within our timeline. And people are claiming that their experiments in searching for a black hole is what is causing these brief windows into our dimensions, and that these windows are causing these other dimensions to momentarily converge with our dimension, ultimately causing minuscule changes within our reality. But before we solidify this theory as fact, let's take a quick look at another supporting factor to the CERN theory, which has been the timeline experienced by both the Mandela effect and the LHC. And while on the surface, the timeline seems to fit, there are certain discrepancies that it's important to be aware of. Construction for the LHC began in 1998, but the machine itself did not come online until September 10th, 2008, exactly one year before the term Mandela effect was discussed by a group of presenters sitting in the Dragon Con green room. However, it's important to note that the particle collisions, what is believed to create these rifts in space-time, didn't take place within the LHC until 2010, one year after the Mandela effect was discovered. Instead, during the initial startup, physicists simply steered the first beam successfully around the machine. Although after this incident, the LHC was shut down for two years due to a faulty connection between two accelerator magnets that caused a helium leak. The LHC didn't successfully collide particles until November 2010, more than one year after the DragonCon discussion. So is it possible that if the LHC caused rifts in space and time, that this linear timeline doesn't matter and that the collisions are impacting the entire timeline from before the 2008 startup? Or is this proof that while it's true that CERN is trying to study the depths of science fiction, it is not the reason for the Mandela effects? Now let's take a look at the second theory, which is the theory that we are living in a computer simulation. This theory gained widespread popularity thanks to movies like The Matrix and was also the main theory referenced in the indie film The Mandela Effect released in 2019. Now, the simulation theory is a complex theory in and of itself, and for that reason, I will not be breaking down the theory in its entirety in this episode, but instead, I'm going to focus on the aspects of the theory that support the idea that it is the cause for the Mandela effect. In summary, the simulation theory is exactly what it sounds like, that we are virtual beings living in a simulation, sort of our own very complex game of Sims. Now, who or what created it and why, we don't know. But what we do know is that as of right now, the consensus, the probability that we are living in a simulation is an even 50-50 split, meaning there's a 50% chance, according to scientists, that this theory is true. And believe it or not, if humans were ever able to develop the ability to simulate conscious beings, then the chances would overwhelmingly tilt in favor of us living in a simulation ourselves. However, before that can happen, we would first need to determine and agree on what consciousness actually is. And proponents of this theory use the Mandela effect as another piece of evidence that it's true. They claim that these changes in details within our reality are caused by glitches in our simulations coding or more popularly referred to as glitches in the matrix. Now, you may be thinking there's no way 
we are made up of a bunch of computer codes because we are biological beings. We're not mechanical ones. But as it turns out, according to an article by Wired from 2017, a group of biohackers were able to successfully encode malicious software into a strand of DNA. The purpose of this was to demonstrate how encoded DNA could ultimately corrupt gene sequencing software and ultimately take control of the underlying computer. But this experiment has also demonstrated how what we once thought of as science fiction is closer and closer to becoming a reality. And the big question is whether or not this discovery is one more supporting piece for the argument that we are all living in a simulation. And if so, then is it possible that the Mandela effects that so many are experiencing are a clue as to how our reality is designed and influenced by the creators of the simulation itself? Now, our final theory is probably the most accepted by the general population and skeptics alike based on what can actually be proven with our current technologies. It's the theory that the Mandela effect is simply caused by collective false memories. Now, the idea of false memories isn't anything new. It was initially studied in the 1800s by a psychologist, Pierre Janet, as well as Sigmund Freud, and there have been decades of research done on the phenomenon since. But the big question is, how can such a large group of people have the exact same false memories of the exact same event, logo, or movie line? Well, psychologists claim that this is largely due to suggestibility, the idea that if one person suggests an event occurred in a certain way, another person may believe they remembered it in the same way too, even if the event never happened or never happened in that way. And thanks to the internet, these suggestions are able to reach thousands, if not millions of people worldwide, spreading the false memories through an even larger population than would have been possible prior to the dawn of the internet. This may also suggest why the Mandela effect didn't pick up steam until the late 2000s. It was because information sharing on the internet began to peak around this time with their creation of social media platforms such as MySpace and Facebook. In fact, in 2008, the same year that CERN tested its first beam around the LHC, Facebook surpassed MySpace as the most visited social media website. So is it possible then that the timing of the discovery of the Mandela effect happening shortly after the rise of Facebook contributed to its popularity? And in return, it ended up sparking the creation of collective false memories among millions of people for decades to come. Or... Is the rise of Facebook occurring the same year the LHC came online the real conspiracy? Regardless of which theory turns out to be true, the Mandela effect has taught us that our perceived reality is exactly that. Whether we are converging with an alternate dimension, living in a simulation, or experiencing false memories, all of it is proof that the reality that we experience is unique and ever-changing based on our own perceptions of the world around us. So maybe the Mandela effect is less about proving our external reality and more about exploring our internal one instead. So what do you think? Is the Mandela effect the key to unlocking limitless multiverses and parallel dimensions? Or is it all just a psychological phenomenon after all? Let me know by leaving a review or sending a DM on Instagram at halfway.to.hippie.